0: Christ, who is God and man, he was sinless, he died upon a cross, and then something else happened, and tonight we're going to talk about that. <laughs> Guess what, no. Um, Tom Oj is bringing the word, and actually as I looked, how many, raise your hand if you have notes, or if you need notes, they should be going around, everyone should have some otherwise. We've got a couple here if we can get those. Um, This is an encouraging word, and it's a timely word. Some of you may know what's going on in the economy as well as in our nation right now. The Dow dropped yesterday. It's about 632 points. I think it was like the eighth largest drop. Friday the week before, it was about 500. So the market's gone down about 10%. There's a lot of fear globally, economically. There's a lot. The credit rating of the United States just got lowered. I'm not going to go into the economic implications of that. But people are looking for hope. And it's amazing what the Apostle Peter says. And I know I'm, I'm not going to preach Tom's sermon because he has this in there. But Peter actually says that you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. That the hope of a Christian is not like, I hope things get better. It's like he's alive. And, there, and there's nothing that's going to move that anchor for my soul. And the exciting thing is Jesus, uh, Peter, I was reading this yesterday going, if anyone else but Peter said this, I'd tell them they're exaggerated and they're off. But he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, 1 Peter one thirteen. He says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that you will receive at the revelation of Jesus. Christian, the, there's three pillars in the Christian faith. Faith, hope, and love. And hope is what we're going to hear tonight. And Tom's got, like, honestly, I looked through these notes and I was like, I don't think I could imagine adding anything to these. He, like, covered it. So I'm excited. Come on up, Tom. Yeah. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for him, and then we're going to hop into the word. Wow. I get to live with, I get to live with this guy. This guy's going to be in my wedding. What an honor. What a good-looking dude, man. You got a haircut? He leads worship here. He's just a servant. I love this guy. He works a full-time job, and he just pours his life out as an offering to the Lord. So, Jesus, we bless, Tom. We thank you tonight for this just burning in his heart that's coming forth, the resurrection of your son. And God, I ask that you would give him grace to really drive an anchor, God, to drive a stake in the ground regarding this truth, that you would make known the truth of the word in a new way, that you would breathe upon it, Holy Spirit. God, that we might respond in faith and love to Jesus. We love Tom. We're thankful for him. Thank you for his leadership in this community. Thank you for his life as an example to many, God, that we would imitate Tom as he imitates you, Jesus. We bless him. We love him. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, tonight we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, um, and I know it's an important topic on his heart, and it's going to be uh, it's an important topic on my heart, and I think it should be an important topic on all of our hearts. Um, and Jesus really cares about his resurrection. Um, it's important to him. <laughs> And as we're going to find out, it's talked about in the whole Bible, um, and I think it's something that we just really need to fix our eyes on, and it has lots of implications for our lives. I'm just going to pray again. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Open our eyes to the implications of your resurrection. We know you know about it, Lord, so I pray that you'd teach us about it. Open our hearts, Lord. Give us living revelation, Lord, of what it means that you raised from the dead and what it means for our lives. Amen. Everyone got notes? Great. Okay. Um, So, we're going to hit it. The resurrection of Jesus, a key tenet of the gospel. Based on the New Testament um, and New Testament writing, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most important aspects of the gospel message. However, um, I know that in my life, at least in my experience with Christianity um, and Western Christianity, It's not elevated to the level of importance that it really merits. Usually it's the resurrection of Jesus is, at least in my experience, like I said, mostly talked about on Easter Sunday. Um, But when we look in the New Testament, we find out that the resurrection is actually key to the gospel itself. Um, And that without the resurrection, there is no good news. Usually the gospels kind of boil down to um, your sins will be forgiven, or if you look, if you look to Jesus, accept Jesus as your Savior, your sins will be forgiven, and you'll go to heaven. And that's very true, but it's more than this. And we find out that what the apostles testified to in the new in the new uh, New Testament church was the resurrection of Jesus, and it has vast, vast implications for the life of of the believer. Um, so we're going to dive into that a little bit tonight, figure out what the implications are, and I haven't, I haven't come close to figuring it all out, um, I, I, don't, I don't know much, honestly, but the Holy Spirit can speak to us tonight, because uh, we're going to hit a lot of scriptures, and um, I like the Bible, he likes the Bible, so I think we're going to be in a good spot. So, section A, New Testament witness, um, the New Testament is really a lot about the resurrection, if not entirely about the resurrection. I mean, there's more, but it's a key aspect of most portions of the New Testament. The the entire New Testament either directly proclaims the resurrection of Jesus or it assumes his resurrection. And it's spoken of more than 100 times in the New Testament. All four Gospels attest to the resurrection. The epistles are founded upon the idea of a raised Jesus or they testify directly to the idea of a raised Jesus. The book of Revelation shows a resurrected Jesus and it portrays a resurrected Jesus coming back. How many of you know that a dead man doesn't come back? You have to be alive to come back to the earth. Um, And what I find to be particularly telling is how the apostles testified to the resurrection in the book of Acts. Um, For the apostles, to preach Jesus was to preach the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.12 says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there's no resurrection for the dead? Note that it says... Now, if Christ is preached that He's been raised from the dead, it doesn't say uh, if it is preached that Christ is raised from the dead. It equates the preaching of Christ uh, to the preaching of the resurrection. And then we just have a whole list of of really key verses in Acts that I was reading this a few months ago, and I was just reading through Acts, and I was like, "Wow!" Every time it talks about the apostles preaching, it says they are witnessing His res- or testifying to His resurrection. We'll just go through these quickly. Um, Acts 1, verses 21-22. This is talking about finding a replacement for Judas. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us or with, with us, of his resurrection. So they're looking for someone to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. They're not looking for someone to, um, you know, proclaim that Jesus was a good man. They're looking for someone to proclaim that Jesus raised from the dead. Acts three fourteen through 15. This is Peter preaching after he got filled with the Holy Spirit. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. So once again, it just points out that the apostles were testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. That was the primary thrust of their message. Here's a good one. Acts 4, verses 32 through 33. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Praise the Lord. God help us. Neither did any one say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now it's interesting that Luke decides to highlight this one thing that they're giving witness to. I mean, we, we know they're preaching other things, I mean, forgiveness of sins, repentance. But Luke highlights this, that with power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we'll see why. Um, I think it's... There's a reason why the the resurrection was so highlighted in the preaching of the apostles and it's also so highlighted in the entire New Testament because it has vast implications, like I said, for the lives of believers, for doctrine. Here's I guess there's another one on the other page. Acts 17, verse 18. others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So clearly the resurrection was on the apostles' minds. Um, is the main thrust of their message. So I think it should be on our minds as well. Lord, help us to do that. Um, so briefly, so that's just, that just lays out that the apostles really cared about it. It was a main, it's a main portion of the New Testament. Section B, let's just hit real quickly on the credibility of the resurrection. As we just pointed out, it's, it's, it's irrefutable that it's important to the apostles and it's has a sturdy foundation in the New Testament. Um, But just in case doubts arise in your mind about the credibility of the resurrection, just think about this for one second. All of the apostles, besides one, John um, and Judas, they died for the sake of the gospel. So it really just makes no sense um, that they would die for a lie, that they die for something that... Because sometimes I'm thinking like, well, Jesus died, and then all these guys that gave up their lives for the last three years... Um, so maybe they just kind of thought, well, we'll just say he raised from the dead. But no, they lived the life of an apostle, um, and they all died for him. So that des- definitely testifies to the, to the reality of the message of the gospel and of Jesus' resurrection. Um, the lifestyles and the deaths of the apostles testify to the resurrection. And if you just want a closer look at that, see what it was like to be an apostle, check out Second Corinthians uh, 11, 22 through 33. We see what Paul lived through. He wasn't living a life of ease. He was living um, for something he truly believed in. Part C, we're going to just hit quickly on the nature of Jesus' resurrection. This has important implications for doctrine as well. He was raised bodily forever. Um, point one here. Jesus' physical body was raised, and this flies in the face of Greek dualism, which is a, it's the idea of a dichotomy between the material and the immaterial. We see in Acts 17 that the Athenians were Greeks. They hated the idea of a bodily resurrection. They thought it was foolishness. Um, and Plato referred to the body as the antithesis to the soul. But I have news for you. Plato was wrong. Jesus was raised bodily. Here's some scripture just that clearly portrays Jesus being raised bodily. Matthew 28, verse 9. Um, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. How many know you can't hold a ghost by the feet? You can't hold a spirit by the feet. I can hold Clint by the feet. Um, Luke 24, verses 36 through 39. And Jesus must have known this in their hearts because this portrays it pretty clearly. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus had flesh and bones. In Luke 24, we see him eating fish and honeycomb. It's great. I like fish. I like honey. Meats and sweets. Um, So this has a couple important ideas that we can glean from the fact that Jesus was raised bodily forever, it means the material, physical world is good. It's not bad. And like I said, the Greek dualism idea is that the physical is is bad, inherently evil, and the spiritual is inherently good. Where Actually, God made the physical, and he called it very good. And it's still very good. The fact that Jesus, and that, that is God, the fact that God became a human testifies to the goodness of the physical world and the flesh. And the fact that he's been raised physically forever really testifies to the fact that the physical world is a good thing. I imagine him saying, I love humanity so much I'm going to become a human, die a disgraceful death so I can be with these humans forever, these specks in the entire universe that I created. I'm going to be with them forever. And I will remain a human forever. Okay, Point two, this is key. Jesus' resurrection is different from uh, every other resurrection in the Bible. He didn't simply come back to life again after he died, um, as did Lazarus and everyone else Jesus raised from the dead, and people who were raised in the New Testament or Old Testament, because most people, everyone else, when they raised from the dead, they raised and then died again. Jesus was raised to never die again. In this sense, he was the firstborn from the dead, which is in Colossians 1:18, and the first fruits of the resurrection to come. And this really kind of just crushes the lie that I've been tempted to believe sometimes. Like I've just heard the resurrection story, and, and unfortunately it's been become such commonplace language, um, the re- talk, talking about the resurrection, that I've heard it, and I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, Jesus raised some people from the dead himself, so it's like, what does it matter that he raised from the dead? He was the first one to never die again. He is the resurrection. Point three, Jesus ascended in a physical body, and he'll return in a physical body. Some people think or some people say that maybe Jesus... It's irrefutable that he he was raised a phys, in a physical body. Some people will say, like, well, maybe he became a spirit when he went into heaven. But Acts 1.11 says, Men of Galilee, this is after Jesus ascended. Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? These are angels talking to the apostles. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So he's going to come in the same way he went, uh, with angels in the clouds and physically. Okay, D. Now we're going to get into some meat. (laughs) Meat and honeycomb. I look forward to eating the the marriage supper of the lamb. There's going to be lots of meat and honeycomb probably. Check out Isaiah 25. 25. Fatty meats. Mm-mm-mm. Part D, Implications for Doctrine and Lives of Believers. So in this section, we're going to hit on one, two, three, four, five, I think, five points that kind of show us why the apostles were testifying to the resurrection. Why was this central to their message? Why were they calling themselves witnesses to his resurrection? It's because it's really stinking important. <laughs> Point one, the deity of Christ Christ. The resurrection proclaims that Jesus is God. On. Romans one, one through four, Jesus our Lord, who was born of the seed, uh, born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus' resurrection proclaims that he is indeed the Son of God, and that has implications showing that he is God himself, as Clint preached on a few weeks ago. You can talk to him for a little more detail on that. Um, but it proclaims his deity. Jesus' sonship is directly linked to his resurrection. And his authority is also linked to his resurrection. And so when I first... there's The Bible makes lots of statements about the resurrection. Like, it just says, like, all right, um, Jesus is God, or Jesus is the Son of God because he was raised from the dead. And upon initial reading, I'm always just like, all right, like, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't just click. Um, but if you think about them and meditate on them for a while, things begin to click, and I was just thinking about this one. It's like, why does Jesus being raised from the dead mean that he's the Son of God? And you just take yourself out of kind of the Christianese context. And these concepts such as the resurrection and Jesus being the Son of God, which have unfortunately become kind of trite in our minds, they're, they're, they're vast and they're, they have huge implications for our lives, and I think we need to reestablish them to the center of our lives. But anyway, so take yourself back 2,000 years. You're just chilling out in Israel, and some guy comes on the scene and says he's the Son of God. And you're just like, what? You probably wouldn't believe him. So he starts doing some miracles, and that adds some clout to his message. But what really, really hits at home that he was not lying is that after he gets executed by the Roman government, he gets raised from the dead. It's like, hello, he actually is the Son of God. So, point one, the deity of Christ is proclaimed through his resurrection. Point two, the resurrection has implications for our salvation. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, I was, I was reading that a few months ago, and it hit me. I was like, wow, I don't, I don't really know if I really believe this, because like, I've just professed it so much without a heart reality. It's good to profess it, but it's good to go deeper and, and meditate on it and, get to, and chew on it and get to the point where you're like, I know this happened. So, I was thinking about it a few months ago, and I was just like, wow, Lord, help me, because I don't, you know, I'll confess to you with my mouth, but do I really, really believe down in the depths of me that you were raised from the grave? And I do, praise the Lord, because um, it's true. Yeah, come on. So, belief in Jesus' resurrection is essential to salvation. Now, I'll, I'll grant you that maybe if, like, I'm preaching the gospel to someone right as they're dying, and I don't quite get to that point, and they accept the Lord before they hear about his resurrection, you know, the Lord's merciful, that person will probably be saved. But for the life of the mature believer, if you are to refute that Jesus is raised from the dead, I don't, I don't think you're saved. Um, because the resurrection is proof that death and sin have been defeated. Right. Because Jesus has been raised bodily forever. He defeated death. Therefore, not believing in the resurrection is believing that sin and death are not defeated. This is why Paul says, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Jesus isn't risen from the grave, it's all over. This whole Christianity thing um, is done with. So if we don't believe in the resur- resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. Death isn't defeated. The good news is if we do believe in it, and it, it did happen, that death is defeated and that our sins are forgiven. Um, we're actually going to come to point three in a few seconds. We're gonna to go to four and five first because point three is just uh, we're gonna camp out on that one for a while. So point four, we just talked about this. Jesus' resurrection means that death is defeated. The resurrection is proof that death has been defeated because Jesus was raised never to die again, and Jesus' resurrection assures us that we will have similar resurrections. We have, we will receive resurrected bodies just like His. And that's why we can rejoice and be like, alright, death is defeated. I'm going to get a body like his that's imperishable. That will never fade. Full of glory, completely compatible with the character and attributes of the Holy Spirit. How many know right now that your body is not complete, your spirit man is completely compatible with the Holy Spirit, but we don't live in full revelation, walking in glory all the time. Sometimes I wake up and Clint's there, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) But... um. But our resurrected bodies will be completely compatible with the Holy Spirit. I look forward to that day. That's why it's our hope, as Clinton said from 1 Peter. We're supposed to fix our hope completely on the day that Jesus comes because the day Jesus comes, we get a resurrected body. He gets rid of all sin, all filth, all pain. So we should set our hope completely on that day we're commanded to. Anyway, Jesus' resurrection is indication that we get resurrections like his. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But now Christ is risen from the dead. And this is after a whole passage of of Paul dealing with, well, is Christ really risen? What are are the implications if he's not risen? I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 15. I wish we could just go through it verse by verse right now, but we can't. Um, But it's just a great, great uh, passage on the resurrection. So he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he's the first fruits. What does this mean? Um, in Judaism, the first fruits was, was the first sheaf of the harvest, the first chunk of the harvest, um, that was brought and offered to God in the temple. And it had two indications. One, uh, it consecrated the rest of the harvest, and it, it implied that there would be a similar harvest afterwards because it was the first fruits. Um, and both of these aspects are true of Jesus being the first fruits. One, he consecrates the rest of us. His death and resurrection consecrate us. We get to follow in like manner and be raised uh, from the dead with Him as long as we die with Him. Um, and His first fruits indicates that us being raised is going to be like Him. We're going to get a body like His. That's the good news. Um, Philippians 3.20-21 through 21 says the same thing pretty much. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is even able to subdue all things to himself. So our bodies are going to be conformed to his glorious body. We're going to have a body like his, which is, like I said, imperishable. It doesn't die. It doesn't fade. I really look forward to it. And there's just... Just some more food for thought, in that same passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that our body will be raised a spiritual body. And some people take this to mean that we're going to be just spirit and not flesh and bones. But through most of the New Testament, when Paul uses the word spiritual, he means compatible with the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. In in Romans, he speaks to the the believers in Rome that they are spiritual, but we know they were physical as well. So our new bodies, like I said, will be completely compatible with the Holy Spirit. Physical. Flesh and bones, but perfectly uh, made as habitations for the Holy Spirit. Point five, and this is good news. Jesus' resurrection is assurance of judgment to come. Acts seventeen thirty uh, through 31. And this is Paul talking to the Athenians again, I think. Um... And he's saying, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he ordained, which is Jesus, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So the fact that Jesus is going to come on an appointed day, he's the appointed man, um, to judge the world, the living and the dead, It's we have assurance of that by the fact that he was raised from the dead. And that's another one of those things that I was like, all right, like I don't really get this. But I think it's because Jesus is the only one found worthy to judge. He's the only one in whom sin and Satan had nothing. The resurrection points to his worthiness to judge the world in righteousness because God placed his stamp on Jesus, said, you are completely sinless, I'm going to raise you from the dead. Um, And this this is a really good thing. Sometimes we talk about judgment and it kind of stirs up fear in us. Psalm 96 verses 11 through 13 reads, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with truth. See, we need him to come right now to set the wrong things right, to do away with the scheming of Satan and to do away with everything that was turned, turned awry at the fall of man. So, the resurrection is assurance that he's coming back. Now we're just going to hit on, we're going to go back to point three. This is the last, last thing we're going to hit. And then we're going to go into ministry on this point. The resurrection of Jesus makes power available to us to overcome sin in our lives. And it gives us power to minister the gospel effectively because we are raised with Jesus in his resurrection. Okay, so these first two pieces of Scripture just kind of show us that we do indeed have access to power through the resurrection. Ephesians 1, 19-20. Paul prays that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Likewise, in Philippians 3.10, Paul is saying that, that he wishes that he may know him, that's Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. So we know it's possible to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. We have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 2, 4-6. These next two verses kind of show us how we have access to the power But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in one sense, we've already been raised with Jesus in that we have been given a completely new nature, not according to the principles of this world. Our spirits are completely righteous before God, and our our spirits are perfect habitations for the Holy Spirit who gives us power to live holy lives. Um first Peter one three. And if anything, I just pray that reading these scriptures will put the seed in you to go into this more deeply. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would reveal Jesus to our hearts right now, reveal the implications of your of his resurrection. Open our eyes to what these scriptures mean. Amen. First Peter one three. This is great. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the resurrection plays a role in our regeneration because begotten again is just another way to say born again. So through his resurrection, we're born again. Our spirits have been made alive through his resurrection. And this allows Paul to say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because we are raised with him. Okay Romans 6 uh, this passage sheds some more light on just like how this happens because in my mind it's still kind of cloudy. it's like, all right, Jesus resurrection, I get power over sin um, but how I trust him, but I want the Bible gives us a little more light on, on how this happens. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. So how this works is that we're united with Christ, we're identified with him in his death, identified with him in his resurrection, and through our identification with him in his resurrection, we can now walk in newness of life. We have power to say no to sin because it's no longer who we are, it's no longer identity, through his resurrection. And there's some important... Well, we're going to hit that in a second. One more, one more passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 5-58. And this is after that same long discourse on the, on the resurrection and its implications. Paul says, Therefore, so because the resurrection is real... Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The resurrection of Jesus assures us that our efforts on this side of eternity are not fruitless. They will have eternal implications, because life isn't over after this. And that's why Paul says we make it our aim to be pleasing to God in 2 Corinthians 5, because we know we will appear him before, before him at the judgment and we're assured of it through his resurrection. Um, So this helps us to persevere for two reasons. One, we know we're going to be rewarded for the things that we do in the flesh that are out of love, that are for the sake of Jesus. And two, Jesus isn't, like, he's not dead. His resurrection says that he's not dead. So he's still alive, and he will come and judge. So the resurrection of Jesus and him coming to judge is either a really good thing or a really bad thing for you. And I pray that it will be a good thing for all of us. And I believe it will be. So I'm just going to try to sum up all those verses on the resurrection in terms of Jesus being raised from the dead and that giving us power to live holy lives. It's, it's, it's kind of confusing, I think, at least. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd make it clear to everybody. Um, so I see this, the, the kind of the nexus between the resurrection and the power over sin is threefold. One, this isn't in your notes. I needed to feel kind of special and have something that's not in your notes. One, we are raised with Jesus and receive a new nature. It's no longer our nature and our identity is sin. So the Bible says that we are raised with Jesus in his resurrection, and that's only if we die with him. And just newsflash, like we die with him when we say yes to him. When we say yes to Jesus, we say no to our own ways. That's death. We say no to our own plans. That's death. We say no to our own whatever we want for life and say yes completely to whatever he has. And that's something that I wrestle with every day. I'm like, Lord, it's not my life anymore. It's yours. So when we at re, when we say yes to Jesus for the first time, we die, we get regenerated. Our spirit men, spirit people become brand new before his eyes. Um, and we're raised with Jesus in his resurrection and that we get a new nature. So it's no longer your nature to sin. I just want to say that to every one of you. It's not your identity to sin. It's not who you are. Your spirit man is completely new before him. He views you as holy and spotless. Point two, the second reason we get power over sin through the resurrection is that Jesus' resurrection is indication of God's approval of his sacrifice. His sacrifice for us. Romans 4 says that he was raised because of our justification. So it's indication of God's approval of his sacrifice, which means our sins can be washed away. Thus, we are rendered pure in his sight and become perfectly compatible with the Holy Spirit. So if we're completely compatible with the Holy Spirit, we get the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome sin. So one, it's no longer in our nature to sin. We've been raised with Jesus. Two, we have the Holy Spirit living in us through the resurrection of Jesus. Because there's the Father's stamp of approval with the Holy, I mean, the Holy Spirit's God. He's living in you and He gives you power to overcome sin. Point three, we've already touched on this. The resurrection is our fuel for perseverance to not grow weary in doing good. If we know that we're going to be raised on the last day and the things that we do in this life will be rewarded to us, it gives us perseverance to go through the stuff we go through. It gives us perseverance when sins, sin and and, uh, oppression are weighing down on us to say no and to say yes to Jesus. It gives us power. So that's about all I got.
2: What he ended here is really important because many churches don't teach this. This is absolutely orthodox teaching from the Scripture. It's very clear in the Scripture. Many churches, even churches that believe the Bible, don't teach this Because they don't want to say that sin is not inevitable. They think that sin is inevitable until we go to heaven. We're going to sin. But he is just saying what the scripture says that we can have victory over sin. Do you need to sin tonight? No, you do not. Do you need to sin tomorrow? No, you do not. Do you need to sin next week? We're not taking ourselves seriously. We're taking the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ seriously. So you want to you grab this because you may not have heard it. It may actually sound strange to you. And so we have in the Lutheran church, for instance, uh, uh, in the Latin, it says, Simul justus et peccator. We're both sinner and saint. And that is quoted so often that people say, well, I'm still a sinner. So what we're saying to them is you're not going to get A's. You're going to get C's. You're going to get some D's. Maybe we'll get a few B's. But don't think you're going to get all A's. And if we start saying that you're going to get A's, people say, you're talking about sinless perfectionism. Like that's a terrible thing. Well, I'm more concerned about sinful imperfection and and thinking that we're not going to make it. So what you end up with is you end up with a team of losers. You end up telling your team what well, you're not going to you're not going to win. You're you're okay. You're mediocre. But Tom is really teaching an important truth. So bless
0: you, Tom. I was I was at a funeral of a brother I think it was 2 weeks ago and I want to tell you that this Tom's shared so many practical realities to this doctrine. I want to tell you, there have been so many times in my life where I've anchored myself to this truth and gone, the good news about the resurrection isn't that my buddy died and is now in a better place. Now, that's true that he's in the presence of Jesus, but that's not the hope, and that's not actually the good news. The good news is he's going to be raised, and I just want to read one verse, a couple verses to you out of 1 Thessalonians, because this is like at the center of Paul, the Apostle Paul and Paul Anderson's pastoring. (laughs) This is like a pastoral topic. This is like very, very pastoral. Why? Because we see death everywhere. (laughs) Death is a huge enemy, and Paul says this about, the context is people are dying, And they're going, is this invalidate Jesus' resurrection? Are they going to miss out on his return? What's going on? And Paul says this, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. He has a pretty low view of death. (laughs) You notice that? Paul's just kind of like, hey, they're they're just hanging out with Jesus. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ. And he goes on to say, this is amazing. Those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. But first, he's going to descend and raise from the dead those who are on earth. But those who are with him in heaven are going to get their resurrected bodies first. And then he says at the end of this whole passage on the resurrection, both Jesus' and its implication for ours, he says, comfort one another with these words. You want to offer biblical comfort? It's Jesus is raised, you're going to be too. Not I hope the economy's going to turn around. I hope God blesses you and you're prosperous, and you know I, I mean, that, that isn't the biblical hope. I hope you know that. We're not offering you a gospel. I actually just heard this testimony the other day of a guy who was in India as a, as a missionary, and he ran into a, a man there who said, "You Christians in America have lied to us." He said, you told me if I gave my life to Jesus, I would be comfortable, prosperous, and wealthy and have more money than I could spend. He said, I gave my life to Jesus and everyone in my family was martyred. He said, but praise God, the Lord revealed the truth of the gospel in the scriptures to me. And he said, I have hope that they're going to receive a reward at the resurrection and that take my life, it's not mine. You can't keep me in the grave because the devil couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. I mean this is like the center of what we're proclaiming. This is the good news. He was crucified and his crucifixion was like like Tom said, it was approved. He was justified in his, his in his sacrifice through God raising him from the dead because death had no power on him. It's like, oh, this is good, guys. This is really really good. This is our hope. And trust me, we're going to need it in the days ahead. <laughs> We're going to need it. There's wheat and tares growing up. Some some bodies, some streams in the body of Christ only focus on the negative. It's all getting worse. I just want to get out of here. Let's escape. Paul goes, no. Because of the resurrection, though it is getting worse, your actions actually matter. Don't don't fall into the mentality. Eat, drink. Let's just ha- be merry because it's gonna we're gonna die and it's over. Paul goes, no. Your life now, the decisions you make today are going to have eternal implications because your body is going to be raised, the earth is going to be restored, and you're going to reign with Him forever. I don't even know how we apply all that, but I love it. Do you guys get this? When when you go to a funeral, there's something wrong in you because you go, death. Oh, I hate death. It robs life. What's going on? And Jesus goes, I was the first fruit. Yours is coming. I am gonna destroy death. That's the hope. That's the hope we have. I don't know how we want this to land exactly, but we want to minister it. I just promise you that much. Because when this is like everything for the believer. This is everything. The cross and the resurrection are central in overcoming sin in giving us hope for the future in actually orienting us in how to walk this life and understand the mysteries of what's happening in the world around us. Here's one way I applied this when I was in
3: college. In college, I struggled a lot with besetting sin. Um, Just certain sin addictions, things that I wanted to really honestly be set free from. Andy kind of addressed this last week when he said that um, immaturity is different from rebellion and I sense that in our generation there's a lot of us who are wanting to walk this out in victory who want to say like yes I've overcome sin and I'm walking in victory but you don't really but you're struggling with it and maybe you're like well how do I do it like how did you get from here to there over the course of XYZ years so I just want to encourage us tonight to really take what Paul what Paul Tom and um, Clint are talking about and just Ultimately, fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah. Like get to know God, and this is what this is. The scripture the Lord put in my heart tonight was John seventeen three, and um, that says this is eternal life that you would know the one true God in Him whom Jesus, Him whom He sent, Jesus Christ. And Paul actually takes Paul the apostle actually takes that a step further in Philippians three, which um, Tom highlighted in his message. He talks about in Philippians 3, the kind of the beginning of the chapter, he says, I have considered everything else surpassing, like everything else is lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and he, Paul is infamous for really long sentences, but he closes that argument by saying that by any means possible, I may attain the hope of the resurrection. So that's intense. He, in, he ties in ultimately The fact of knowing Christ Jesus as surpassing everything else that matters in this life unto what? Unto the fact that he may share the resurrection with Jesus Christ. So that's the roadmap. The roadmap is let's get to know Jesus so he'll raise my body from the grave and I can chill with him in heaven forever in glory. So tonight I want to encourage us, let's go deep in the knowledge of God. Let's get real with the Bible. Let's go deep. I, I feel like the Lord just wants to re-enlist soldiers tonight. Like, Lord, I've, I'm here. I don't want to be here anymore. Take me into reality. Take me into the knowledge of God. And that may look like g- spending more time in prayer, spending more time with, with godly people, like changing your friends, changing the things you address with yourself. Just that, Those are things you're going to want to talk to the Lord tonight about. So we'll just put on some music, and we're just going to pray us all Let's all, let's all stand, actually. Yeah, I, I just, just want to ask stand. you
0: to stand. And I want to ask you to grab uh, at least one, if not two people around you. And I want you to go. you got got plenty, plenty of prayer material. We've said plenty. Now we want to go in and pray that reality and ask the Holy Spirit to release revelation of Jesus' resurrection. What it's actually meaning for you as a believer today. That you have power over sin and that God would even break that tonight by the power of the resurrection. So I just want to ask you right now to just grab one or two people around you. Yeah, we can talk to each other. I know. It's not that scary. It'll be okay. We're going to break up into groups, and we're going to ask, and we're gonna ask God right now to break in with the power that he demonstrated when he rose Jesus from the dead, that that's the power you've received now. And I want to encourage you, if you also need prayer needs, there's going to be some people up at the front. I know Tom would love to pray with you. There'll be some more people up here with badges on. If you want to come up and get prayer needs for anything else, I want to really encourage you to allow the Lord to... Make this message deep. Tom, pray for us.
1: And if there's anyone who just has anything burning on their heart now they want ministry for, we, you don't have to, we want you to pray with each other, but if you want to come up here now, that's fine too. Um, Lord Jesus, we just come to you. We glorify your name. We exalt you as King. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and give revelation. Testify to Jesus. Testify to your resurrection in our hearts, Lord. I pray for revelation, Lord, of who you are, Jesus, and who you are in us. God, I pray you just take off the blinders that we don't have to live in sin. That we're not destined for sin. We're not destined for failure, Lord. Lord, we've been raised with you, and we should walk in newness of life, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for access, Lord, to power, to walk in newness of life, just as you walked on this earth, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, come, speak to our hearts. Lord, I come against shame, Lord. I come against shame in the name of Jesus. Yes. Well, I thank you that you've made all things new, Lord. Lord, the past is the past. I thank you that you hold our
0: futures. Now let's begin to pray for one another. I just want to ask you guys to pray for each other. Let's begin to pray that the resurrection would be established.
1: Now let's just press in. There's power here, there's power for freedom.
0: I'm going to ask you to keep conversations to a minimum. If you need to leave, you're free to do that. But let's just continue to press into God. Yes, God. Thank you for the resurrection.